0: Sally, Ashley, <gasps> Sally, Sally. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> we're here.
1: Sorry, I had I had to pee. We have guests over, and I had to pour me another glass of apple cider sangria. So,
0: oh, yes,
1: yeah, so I'm being a fancy lady. I wish you were sharing.
0: Ugh. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> is that sharing enough? No. <laughs> Oh, my God. Hi, ladies. (laughs) Hello. Hello. It's wonderful to hear your voices. It's wonderful
1: to hear your classy voices. (laughs) We're just bunch the classy ladies
0: over here. Uh, So, first of all, let us say that we are all recording distantly this week. And we're sorry to have missed this past week, but we're working out our new schedules. And I think we've got it figured out now, so we shouldn't miss another week. Woo! Yeah. But thank you guys for being patient with us. Mm -hmm. Hi, welcome to Legendary Lasses. I'm Ashley. I'm KB. And I'm Sally. Okay, first of all, I just have to say, KB, is so nice to hear you introduce yourself. Because our episode 14 was very sad when it was just like, I'm Ashley and I'm Sally.
2: I I listened to it and I was like, oh, guys.
0: Um, how bad
2: was it? Because it was rough. It was bad. I think you guys are too hard on yourself. You said hard on. Oh my my god. God. (laughs) All right.
0: well on that note, I don't know what we're talking about this week. I don't know either. I do. KB, what are we talking about?
2: This week we are talking about Beatrix Potter.
0: Oh oh my god. (laughs) Okay, yes. Okay, yeah, yes.
2: I figured we should have like a fun, nice week, yeah. Um, because I mean, things are looking up in my life, but it's very stressful in the transition, yeah. And so, I figure you know, we're coming to the end of a semester for you, and I'm stressed. <laughs> and Sally, I don't know if you're stressed, but I
1: am, my hair's falling out, so you know what? Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. So Um, all
0: this big hot mess is here at Legendary Lasses. What we just found out. Yep. Yeah.
2: So I figured let's do something nice and you know, um, and when I think about like cozy, nice, wonderful things, um, Beatrix Potter is kind of high on my list. So have
0: y'all seen the movie,
2: the Miss Potter
0: one?
2: Yes. Yes, I've seen it one time, but it's been a long time. So
0: I'm not sure. Dude, when that movie came out, I I rented this from Blockbuster. Okay, from Blockbuster, y'all. <laughs> I would rent this so movie like. It's been a while. It's been a while. I would rent this movie every week and watch it yeah. for like months. So that's how weird I am. Anyway.
2: <laughs> yeah. So we're going to talk about her this week. Well, awesome. Do you want me to just get into it? Yeah, girl, mm-hmm. get us started. All right. Well, um, her name was Beatrix Potter. Great. which we've established and she was born in the 1860s uh-huh. and she lived a good long life she lived until the 1940s oh so wow she was, yeah she lived a good long life literally
1: uh, older than the game of basketball
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but she was a writer an illustrator a national uh sorry natural scientist a conservationist um but the thing she's best known for is her children's books um the probably the most famous is the tale of peter rabbit that's what kind of everyone knows her for what
0: peter rabbit
2: (laughs) yeah so that's kind of her claim to fame so actually beatrix is not her first name her first name is helen Oh. um but everyone calls her beatrix because i think her let me check her mother's name is helen so it's kind of like can't call them both helen so
0: i mean i mean, guess you
2: could it. but it would get very confusing yeah that's fair so is yeah
0: her, her beatrix was her middle name
2: yes beatrix was her middle name oh,
0: that's one which, goal of a middle name
2: yeah listen i would go by beatrix too
0: <laughs> See, but, like, if you did that today, people would be like, oh, from Harry Potter?
2: Yeah, yeah. too close to Bellatrix.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because people don't no, know. No, Potter.
2: <laughs> oh, well, I mean, that doesn't help.
0: Yeah.
2: Kids these days. Oh. Sorry. I've been an angry old lady today, you guys. So I'm very excited about this, and hopefully I will be less sassy. Do
0: you guys want to hear about uh, Are you the bitter old lady brigade? <laughs> literally do you guys want to hear how much of an old lady i am yeah well i was sick yesterday with a stomach bug
2: <laughs> oh dear and so
0: i spent my evening after i slept my day away watching doc martin on acorn tv and painting
2: <laughs> that sounds like a good day i was
0: a very old lady yesterday yeah I went to work yesterday,
1: and then I went to the movies. Ooh, what'd Hmm. you see? Frozen 2. Ugh. I was on a date, and he wanted to go see it, and I was like, okay, it was either that
0: or the Mr. Rogers movie, and I know I'm gonna cry. Okay, wait, Uh. hold on. We skipped over a very important note here. What? Your date? Yeah. Are we talking about this on the podcast? I don't
1: know if I want to talk about it on the podcast. Too late, you already brought it up. (laughs) It's canon, we gotta talk about it.
0: What happened? What's his name?
1: His name's Colton. Hi, Colton. And he lives in Gun Barrel City. Oh, Yeah, I know where that is. Yeah, I know where that is. I have a lot of, like, friends and family from around there, so I know the area. And he's really nice, and he's, like, weird and eclectic like me, and he he likes serial killers and he's weird and he gets okay. all the references that I make and yeah.
0: Okay, I'm a fan so he, far. Is he nice? Yeah. Was he nice to you? Yes, he was very nice. Okay, great. Did you tell him about our podcast? I did. Well, hi Colton. I, <laughs> gonna,
1: I told him about it. I didn't tell them tell him the name of it.
0: Oh, um talk about it. Well, okay. when he finds it.
1: <laughs> hi Colton. <laughs> <laughs> And then, like, I, I brought it up, like, it came up in conversation one day at work because we were talking about it was it was one of my work friends and um and we were talking about Doctor Sleep and then he's like, and then I brought up how when me and Ashley saw it,
0: we couldn't stop giggling because oh, it was so bad. We, it was so much like Tilly Devine, you guys, because we're like, and then I. Because like um, we were like
1: Ian McGregor, it looks like Tilly Devine. If you listen to our episode on the worst women of Sydney, and we couldn't like now that we saw it, it. we can't unsee it.
0: Which means Moulin Rouge is ruined for me. Oh, I think it makes it better. (laughs) 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 Tilly Devine singing to Nicole Kidman? No, thank you. And John Leguizamo. That's true. So, there you go. Okay, well, hi,
1: Colton. How was the date? It was very good. We, before, because we, we bought, we got our tickets a little too late, or, like, we had to get, go for, like, a later showing, and so we went to, um, to Marshalls, and we walked about the store, and we smelled candles. You walked about the store? Are you a Victorian lady? Mm -hmm. I'm not as classy. I was wearing jeans. Okay. And by jeans, I mean jeggings. Okay. (laughs) Okay.
0: Okay. Well, I'm glad your date went really well. It did. You know who is a
2: Victorian lady? What? You know who is a Victorian lady? Me. Beatrix Potter. Uh, We call that a
1: sexy me. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yes. (laughs) So Beatrix was born into sort of this upper middle class household. There. I would say if this was the period kind of before this, more regency, they would maybe be considered like landed gentry. Okay. Um, We're a little bit further along. And so I don't know that they have that same like classification, but upper middle class. And she was educated by, I think, three governesses. And probably that was because mostly because she was a woman. And so, you know, They're not really allowed to go to college at this point. Right. Um, So their education is either left to their mother, or if they're in a household that's well enough off, it's left to governesses. So she has uh, three of them. And she spends her childhood kind of isolated from other children a little bit. She does have a younger brother, but they're sort of to themselves, and they spend a lot of time in the countryside.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, they sort of go on vacation on a holiday. Oh, a I guess. holiday! Yeah, they go uh, on holiday to Scotland a lot.
0: Ugh, what a life!
2: Yeah, and so she spends all this time in the countryside, and she and her brother also, when they're growing up, have several small animals as pets. Mm-hmm. So they have like. Mice and hedgehogs. And I think it said they also had bats and insects. insects, Yeah. So they have all these interesting weird pets and she pours a lot of her love and energy into caring for these pets and would take them along when they went on a long holiday. She would like grab her hedgehog and take him along, you know? Oh my God. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that's kind of her upbringing and i would say you see that also in her later work when she's doing children's books
0: oh yeah for sure
2: so that's how she gets started so as far as her family like i said they were sort of that upper middle class would be kind of landed gentry her father i was reading about so he was a barrister okay but he also he was a barrister a barrister. <laughs> a barrister? Like a part of a barrister? A lawyer, basically. Oh, okay. And from what I could tell, he specialized in, like, transfers of property. Oh. So, yeah, things like that, where you're transferring property, or you bought it, or you want to get a mortgage, or huh. stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. So, and then he married Helen Leach. Um, Was she no. <laughs> but um he married her and that's um that's Beatrix's mother. And she came from a family that her father was this wealthy cotton merchant. He was a shipbuilder. Um so he sort of occupies this merchant class that is coming up in wealth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, and she's also first cousins with the first Baron Ashton of Hyde. So then her family becomes actual, like, I don't know if they still call it nobility at this point, but he has a title. Yeah. So that's kind of the the area of society that they're occupying.
0: Damn, okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah becomes really important later on in Beatrix's life because she tries to get married twice and they disapprove both times so yeah Um, both of her parents are artistically talented and actually her dad was also an amateur photographer Um, he had invested in the stock market and so by the early 1890s and by that time Beatrix is, let me check her age at that time. In the early 1890s, Beatrix would have been in her late 20s. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So by the time he is loaded, like extremely wealthy. Um, and that's kind of the the sort of life she was living at that point. She's still kind of living with her parents, taking care of them from what I saw. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Another interesting thing about her upbringing and when she was at sort of a young age, she started to keep a diary when she was 14. Hmm. And it isn't too, I don't know, out of the ordinary, but what was interesting is it's written in a code of her own devising. So she made this code where she, like, substitutes the letters. Oh, wow. Hmm. So she's written a code. From what I could find out, it's not really like a here's the major events of my life sort of thing. It's more about what's going on in society at the time.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
2: Yeah. So, and she grows up in this interesting household, not only because of like, they're in the country all the time. They have these weird pets. They're running around. um, But also her father and her, like her family in general has sort of interesting philosophical and religious views oh
0: i didn't know that
2: oh. yeah they were english unitarians and so what does that mean basically, yeah basically it means that they thought god was sort of this oneness and so they didn't really believe in the trinity and that whole doctrine oh far okay i'm not an expert on unitarianism so okay but that's from what I could tell. But basically, you know, a little bit controversial <laughs> for the time. Yeah. So it's kind of coming up in this odd, artistic, interesting family, Yeah, basically, is the point that I want to get across about her upbringing. So in addition to that, she's also really interested in natural history. And that comes a lot from being in the countryside so often, having all these pets, Um, it was said that she and her brother would observe their pets and just draw them all the time. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah. And one of the things that I did want to talk about, particularly about her is that everyone knows her for Peter rabbit and her children's books, Mm -hmm. but she she was actually drawing illustrations of um, different mushrooms and fungi. Oh. And really, a student of mycology, and you know, had these really interesting drawings of all these different species of mushroom. So, she was interested in sort of every branch of natural science, but botany is her passion. And I would say that's partly a product of her time. Sure. I think the Victorians are kind of botany crazy. <laughs> like, yeah. Really. Um, You know, I think about all the detailed illustrations and all of that. That's going on at this time. So nature study, studying, you know, natural sciences is really popular at this time. So, and she sort of likes everything. She kind of collects fossils. Uh, Like I said, she studies these mushrooms. She also studied bugs um, and kind of honed her skill painting specimens like that
0: wow okay hmm. uh,
2: yeah so by the 1890s again around this time is when her father hits it big in his investments um her scientific interests sort of zero in on these mushrooms and she's drawing them and she likes sort of their colors and forms and there's a lot of of really interesting things to draw with this particular branch of natural science.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. So, um, she learned in order to sort of get her illustrations more accurate. She wants to learn more about how mushrooms are classified and and stuff like that. So she looks at these microscopic drawings of spores and Mm -hmm. she starts about how, um, they reproduce and she sort of comes up with this separate theory of how mushrooms reproduce and she didn't believe because there was kind of a current theory that they thought about how they did that Um, but she said I don't know about that and so came up with her own theory but then she went to sort of talk to people about this and they said oh no no you want to guess why
0: because she was a lady Yes. (laughs)
2: Yes. <laughs> so. Really? I'm,
0: I wasn't, I wouldn't expect that
1: answer. I'm so surprised. I'm okay, shocked.
2: <laughs> well, and part of it also was because of her, you know, she didn't come up through those traditional academic pathways, but it's also like she didn't come up through them because, again,
0: she's a lady. Yes. So, she's a lady.
2: Yes. So.
0: Whoa, 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 she's a lady. Yeah, just like that. Yeah.
2: So she sort of gets, you know, pushed away a little bit. But she says, you know what? I'm going to write up my conclusions. I'm going to write this paper and I want it presented. So she submits it to this. It's called the Linnaean Society. Uh And this is in the late um, 1890s.
0: That sounds really familiar for some reason.
2: Yeah, let me see if I can find some more about that. Yeah, it's dedicated to study about natural history and evolution and things like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's the society that she submitted it to. She was not allowed to either attend the proceedings or read her own paper. She had to have it read by one of her male colleagues that had been helping her.
1: Uh oh, no. Fuck off. Yeah. That's terrible. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Um, so they wouldn't even let her into the proceedings wow. for her own. Paper. And, um, it does say she withdrew it. Um, something about she thought that some of her samples might've been contaminated, but oh. she continued take her research and she was doing that for several more years. And again, her, I don't think her paper really went anywhere in its time, but we rediscovered it and her illustrations and everything that went with that and her work as a mycologist. And, you know, since we've rediscovered that it's sort of being reevaluated. And right now they are with the Armit museum and library and mycologists still refer to her drawings to help identify different species. Oh wow! So- The
1: Armpit Library.
2: It's the Armit Museum and Library. I got
1: it. Armit. A-R-M-I-T-T. Armit. I I, I still hear a silent P. Nope, (laughs) no P.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So that's where all of that is housed. Um, And it's also interesting because mycologists still use her um, drawings to refer to them and um that's how they're able to identify some species even today so that's really that
0: interesting so cool man
2: yeah that's really cool so she might not have been well treated in her day but <laughs> and another thing to note is that in ni- in the 1990s the society actually issued an apology like posthumously to her for everything that happened back then based on her gender and also Um, how it handled her research and didn't kind of give her a, a fair shake to actually present what she was putting forward, so.
1: A little late on the apology, I would say that much. Yes.
0: But at least they did it. Yeah. True, true.
2: So yeah, that's, her scientific career is obviously complicated by this and there's only a certain like level she can reach at this point in history so and I think we again we talked about it with people like James Miranda Berry where it's either you have to sort of redirect yourself and sort of work within those limitations or you have to sort of start cross-dressing and become a man and I guess You know, <laughs>
1: that whole the hoops we have to jump through. It's freaking ridiculous. Yeah. So
2: when her scientific career kind of comes to this, this wall, I guess I'll call it. She sort of starts to channel her talents into other things. Namely, she starts her artistic and literary career. And this is what we know her best for now, I would mm-hmm. say. Um, so she's really influenced again by her childhood and spending all that time in the countryside, having all these cute little animals as pets that she takes around and she's spent all of her childhood observing them. And so now when she goes to do her children's books, um, she sort of brings those talents to it. She also is influenced by fairies, fairy tales, fantasy, um, of course, She had read things like um, the Grimm Brothers, fairy tales, Mm -hmm. Hans Christian Andersen, um, things like that. And also mythology, um, the romantics, Shakespeare, all of these things. Um, Also Alice in Wonderland by this time. Um, So and she had said, I think there was something about she had said that she wasn't so much interested in the actual words that Carol wrote, but in the kind of famous illustrations that go with that. Yeah. Um, So she was really influenced by those as well. So, um, yeah. So she begins when she's starting to illustrate, she sort of goes for the traditional stories, um, things like Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, you yeah. mm-hmm. things that we kind of know today.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Um, but most often, her own illustrations, when she started doing her own things, they were sort of these fantasies, and they featured her own pets, like I was saying, her mice and rabbits and hedgehogs and various different things. That's so, so
0: <laughs> Sally? Ashley, can we make children's storybooks that feature Rosie Gilderman, Barbara Jean as characters?
1: Yes. Why are you even asking that question? <laughs> I needed to ask. Just to have it, just you know, like in, in writing yeah. or, or a recording. Just yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. Just to solidify it. Yeah, of course we Great. can. But the thing is, like, there there won't be adventure stories because all the thing, Like, Barbara Jean only sleeps on the couch. That's all she <laughs> does. <laughs> like, the only time she gets up off the couch is to eat or go outside to poop. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, that's it. So, it won't be... It'd be just like, oh... Rosie Gilda and Barbara Jean take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Rosie Gilda and Barbara Jean have have belly rubs, you know? like good stories, I don't know. <laughs> it'd be like I flipped on my back and they rubbed my tummy and that's all and all all is good.
2: <laughs> Oh goodness.
1: So yeah, I don't think it'd be that uh that good of a story. <laughs> It won't be no, uh, you know, it won't be a, a Harry Potter <laughs> or, you know, a, a it, it, will, it won't it will be, you know, a, a, an American Gods, you know, or something like that will be riveting. <laughs> <laughs> Do you just want it to be a picture book of just dogs? I mean, by that I mean just of Rosie, Gilda, and Barbara Jean. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed
0: to that, no. Okay. <laughs>
2: Oh goodness! But yeah, so she she illustrates her own pets. That's so cool. Yeah, and also during this time, during her sort of teenage years, and when she's also writing this journal of hers, she's also visiting art galleries in London and just Mm -hmm. sort of taking in all of the art scene there. And she's Mm -hmm. looking at this art, critiquing it finding out what her tastes are and writing about it in her journal. So we have some of that as well.
0: That's really cool.
2: Yeah. And she sort of has this talent for observing things about art and she's aware of the trends that are going on and I guess sort of developing her own style for both her drawings and her writing too during this time. So she's sort of formulating all that. Now, once again, in the 1890s, a lot's happening for her in the 1890s. Um, she and her brother start making Christmas cards. They're designing them. Um, cards for Christmas, special occasions, things like that. Basically, they get into the greeting card business.
0: Hmm.
2: So, And she's continuing to paint. A lot of mice and rabbits are sort of the frequent subject of all her paintings. And she's doing sort of art prints at first. And she also starts sending letters that are sort of stories as well as illustrations to different children that are in her life. What's interesting, I guess, I guess I'll say it now, but she does remain childless her entire life, but she has a lot of children around her. And of course she writes children's books. Uh That's kind of the interesting Mm -hmm. part of it, but she starts telling these stories just to people that she knows. And then eventually there's sort of this suggestion of, well, why don't you make it into a book? Mm-hmm. So that's what she does. Mm-hmm. Um, she does try to get it published. Of course she has a difficult time with that. So when that happens, it's at first it's drawn in black and white with just the front having color, and it's her own writing, her own illustrations. She tries to sort of send it around. It doesn't work out. Initially, she publishes it herself and sort of does it just for family and friends, and that happens in 1901. Hmm. And then she has this family friend called Canon Hardwick Ronsley, and wow, <laughs> That is a name. <laughs> yeah. Had great faith in her and um, sort of redid the writing and was like, let's send this out again. Let's do it again. So it finally gets to this publisher called Frederick Warren and Co. And previously, it had been sent to them previously and they said, nah, we'll pass. But by this time, there's sort of a a market for children's books. Yeah trying to get in on that and so they reconsider and they accept it except that they actually say oh we don't want the revised like poem verse stuff that's going on let's do the original so wow. actually monthly Ooh. stuff gets like thrown out and beatrix's stuff is put back in wow yeah and then also they say hey we should do these illustrations in full color so then she starts doing them in watercolor. And there's sort of a, a a new process to reproduce those watercolors for volume. So, wow. okay. yeah. So that's what happens. And she publishes uh, Tale of Peter Rabbit in 1902, and that's I would say her best known work. Uh-huh. And the first, and it was sort of this great success right away, and. She continues to do all of these stories based on, she does some more of Peter Rabbit. She does several other characters. One of my favorites is Squirrel Nutkin, which is also sort of an earlier one. Um, I think that's 1903. And it's all of these kind of small furry animals that she's doing these tales about. And she continues to do that sort of throughout her life. So remember that I said her publisher was from Frederick Warren and Co.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh-huh. Well, one of them was named Norman Warren, and okay. they they kind of sort of maybe fell in love. <gasps>
0: oh. That's so much better than what I thought you were about to say. Right?
2: <laughs> it's gonna be a roller coaster, you guys.
0: Uh oh. Oh, goodness.
2: So, you know, this is in 1905, and they become sort of engaged. You know, they have agreed with each other. But like I said, her parents object to this. And it's because they thought of him as, like, a tradesman, like, sort of beneath their standing.
0: He owns a publishing company.
2: Which is interesting because, you know, in her family... They sort of rose to their position through merchant positions. Yeah. So it's not I, I don't know, I guess sitting at this point in history, it's difficult for me to maybe understand all the nuances of class right. of the time. but, but I'm just
0: like, it's not like he's just a merchant. like he is a business owner. Yeah, which is weird.
2: Like, his last name is on the firm. Like, I don't (laughs) know. So. Dude's got money. Yeah. But they declared him socially unsuitable for their daughter.
0: Socially unsuitable.
2: Yeah. So here's where it gets sad. Okay. But it's going to be sad for just a little bit. Okay. So the engagement only lasted a month. Oh, and it's because he died. What? What? Yeah. Um, not even a, like a month after they got engaged, he died of pernicious anemia. And he was 37 years old.
0: What is that?
2: So I was trying to look up what it is. And basically it's sort of a, um, it's a deficiency. And specifically like in vitamin B12, I think I was looking at. Um, he could have just
1: ran over to the CVS and popped the B12
2: well (laughs) so basically it's you lack sort of this something you lack something but it's because your system is attacking itself oh
0: wow Yeah,
2: yeah so at the time it's like they don't really know what to do for this I mean, now it's, we're more able to treat it, obviously, but at the time it's kind of, you know, and also from what I was seeing, and I don't know if this is, again, I'm not a medical professional, so like, don't take my word for this. But I, I was-
1: am, I, um, <laughs> I've, I've watched one episode of Grey's Anatomy and I frequent uh, WebMD.
0: Okay, Sydney McRoy would be very disappointed in you right now, Sally. Shut
1: up, and I listen. To, I, and I listen to Sawbones, so
0: I am so at well. make doctor. you a medical professional. Yeah, it does Sydney and
2: McElroy
1: McElroy. gonna be angry at you? That's all I'm saying. No, she won't. She'll be. She'll be very proud of me.
0: Okay. Okay.
2: Well, basically, from what I was saying, it looks like usually it only happens, you know, in later life, like when you're over sixty. So, it's really kind of sad and unusual that this happens when he's in his 30s. I was going to
0: say, he was rather young, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. So, um, that's sort of a tragedy that happens in her life. And I, I would think a difficult thing to get through, you know. I mean, yeah. Um, that's, it, because it was not only her, you know, fiancé, but also her publisher. And they had, you know, collaborated and talked and spent so much time together. So. Yeah you're losing someone who occupies several places in your life if that makes sense you know do
0: you want to hear a hot take from ashley's corner
2: yes yeah
0: her parents poisoned him
2: oh goodness
0: that (laughs) sounds like a that sounds like a good
2: theory
1: yeah. This the, is the me- Sally Mendoza, the medical professional, says he died by
2: poisoning. Oh gosh, so, this sounding like it. gothic novel. Your Jane Eyre episode is rubbing off on you.
0: Listen,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: we're calling it like we see it. He was poisoned. Also, I have been like just so deep into the gothic novels right now and like domestic violence, so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that makes sense
2: so but basically her fiance dies and in that same year she uses um some of the money that she's made from her children's books and also some of a an inheritance that she got from an aunt and she buys this piece of property called hilltop farm and
0: like the most beautiful place on earth
2: yeah so she buys this farm basically the thought is that they were maybe hoping that this was going to be their holiday home, you know, when after she married Warren. Oh. Uh, but then he died, and she was like, You know what? I have always wanted this farm. I've always wanted to live in this place. I'm going to buy it with my own damn money that I made oh. for my
1: work. Oh.
2: So she buys this farm.
1: My heart. I know.
2: I know should i think maybe this is a good place to kind of take a break it's sort of a major turning point in her life i would say um and we're probably about halfway through so i would say maybe right now is a good place to sort of let that sink in she's bought her farm starting her new life and we'll come back after the break and continue with that
0: all right enjoy your ad enjoy the ad (laughs)
2: Okay, so Beatrix has just bought her farm, Hilltop Farm, and she really sort of throws herself into this country lifestyle. And I think it's something that really probably appealed to her again because she spent so much time in the countryside when she was growing up, and
0: yeah,
1: this and natural overalls and overalls. Yeah. You're right.
2: <laughs> so she takes on this person to sort of look after the farm who knows what he's doing because you know she's been out in the country but I don't know that she's been actually farming you know Sure. his name is John Cannon and he has his family and they agree to stay and manage the farm and she's sort of working on different improvements learning different things Um, is she
1: like like Buttercup in the Princess Bride Stable Boy Stable Boy
2: That's what she calls. She calls him Farm Boy. I think
1: Farm Boy. Oh, I'm thinking of from um, what is it called? The Caucasian Chalk Circle, Uh, where it's like it's like the trial. Don't you do that, Stable Boy?
0: (laughs) Uh. Farm Boy, fetch me that pitcher. (laughs) As you wish.
2: But yeah, so that's what she's doing. She's learning a lot of different things, figuring out what kind of livestock she wants to have. Um, and she's really starting to focus on this idea of fell farming, which is, is basically that? like hilltop farming. That
0: sounds so appropriate, it's not like, given the name.
2: Yeah, <laughs> given that it's hilltop. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of hilly country. It's not really suitable for things like crops or anything like that. So it's this sort of hilly land and the process of how you raise animals on that kind of land. Usually things like sheep and cattle and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So um, she does have a few pigs, some cows, some chickens. She adds sheep um, at some point. And so she realizes that she needs to protect the boundaries of the farm. I'm just so guessing... a dog. <laughs> I I don't know. She probably got a dog. Who she who am a I? Dog. But no, so and I'm guessing probably because she's a lady living by herself out in the countryside. You know, she's like, I want to protect my property. Yeah. Make sure nobody's coming over here and causing a ruckus.
0: She got a gun.
2: <laughs> no. Oh. So she seeks out. W.H. Helis and son and so they're sort of helping her with her real estate managing all of that and they help her buy um, additional pasture land that adjoins hers and also this farm called Castle Farm and it's right across the road from her original hilltop farm. Oh, okay. Yeah, so she's buying up additional land and working with um, William Helis was going to become important. Okay. So, during this time, she's visiting her farm at every opportunity, um, and she's continuing to write books. Um, And, of course, because she's living this much more agrarian lifestyle, it gets even more, like, it leans even more heavily into that, I would say. Sure. um, As her life is sort of evolving and changing as well. So... Um, she was frequently collaborating with one Mr. Helis, mm-hmm. And then by 1912. So she, she bought the farm in, let me double check. Um, she bought the farm in 1905. Right. And so by 1912, so we're at like seven years later,
0: mm-hmm.
2: Helis proposes to her.
0: Mm-hmm. What? Okay. Yeah.
2: And she accepts. Okay. But this time she doesn't tell her parents right away because she's like, <laughs> mental asshole the first time. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So <laughs> when she finally did tell them, they again disapproved. And they said that, oh, he's just this country solicitor. Like, he's not on par with he's you. He's a
0: solicitor.
2: Yeah. But that's not good enough.
0: They're not good enough.
2: Yeah. But Beatrix doesn't care.
0: That's why she
2: Yeah. Beatrix doesn't care one bit, and so she marries him anyway in
0: 1913. Well,
2: there you go. Good for her. Yeah. So they get married and then uh they're married in London, but they come to live at Castle Cottage, which is what they called the, the farmhouse on Castle Farm after they had like renovated it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, Hilltop is still a working farm. They're living on Castle Farm. She's still buying up all this land. Um, she's remodeled Hilltop Farm for the tenant family that lives there. And she also has her studio and workshop there.
0: Oh, okay.
2: Yeah. Um, so she kind of has these different partnerships at this point. Of course, her husband, she's working with him a lot. Um, he sort of has a large family and a lot of like, she has a lot of nieces through his family who okay. she is writing stories for and sending illustrations to and letters to. Precious. Um, yeah. And she's got several farms at this point. She's sort of established in the community and really settles into this nice country life existence. Yeah. So this is when she's going to write the tale of Jemima Puddle Duck, which I know a lot of people really love. That's another one that's sort of one of her famous ones. Um, And again, those are sort of representative of what what life is like for her um, on her farmland.
0: Okay.
2: And she's really happy during this point in her life.
0: I would be, too, living at a place called Hilltop Farm.
2: Yeah. yeah. So her father dies in 1914. Is it, get, is
0: it bad that I'm kind of not upset about that?
2: I mean, they were kind of asses a little bit. A little bit. Um, And then we get the outbreak of World War I, of course. Um, Beatrix is now fairly wealthy from her children's books and her various farming endeavors. She asks her mother, because I mean, there's a war on, your husband just died, like, you know, come live over here, yeah. you know, what yeah. sort of, um, so she, she does go over there, but her mom sort of finds it pretty dull, um, but she does uh, stay on the same sort of lake side, I guess, um, so she's living fairly close now at this point, not like on top of each other, but. But yeah, they're living fairly close to each other. And she just continues to write stories. And she's also getting involved in things like um, helping the local villages and also really starting to focus on conservation and um, also tradition, really, I would say. Is hmm. She has sort of, for me, three distinct phases of her life as far as her career and what she's passionate about. Sure. So she has the sort of natural history and mycology part of it. She transitions really into this period of illustration and writing books and all of that. And then she gets into the later part of her life where she's really focused on her sheep farming and all of these conservation efforts. So she becomes interested in breeding this breed of sheep and they're called Herdwick sheep. And they're indigenous to the area that she was in. They're um, usually raised on that uh, fell farming system, like the hill farming. So um, she has a bunch of these sheep and is focused on sort of uh, breeding them and uh, also restoring land and putting sheep on it like it would have been historically. Oh. Yeah, so she sort of buys up these properties and gets them back to being good pasture land and back to being a working farm, and she'll put these sheep on it. And it's sort of her way of preserving the English countryside as it would have been. Um, so that's what she's working on and sort of starting in the, the second part of her life, moving into the later parts of her life. That's so cool
0: though, like Do we know, like, how she, I mean, I guess it sounds kind of stupid, like, of course, you know if there's, like, sheep on a farm, Mm -hmm. but, like, historically, because, I mean, it sounds like she's doing, like, historical research, too. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, Well, and I, I don't know, I don't know to what degree it's, like, hard research and to what degree it's sort of living in that community and hearing people talk about, oh, well, this is how my father used to herd sheep or whatever. Mm, Sure. Stuff like that. Um, So and I'm not exactly sure what that sort of system entails. I get the feeling that lands during this sort of fell farming system were more Communal almost, not totally, but it's you know, you just run your sheep around and you know, they're running on hilltops and everything's very pastoral and lovely. Yeah, and I think what she's trying to preserve those traditions, but also this sort of romanticized version of what English country life is.
0: Yeah, sure, that makes sense.
2: Yeah, and I think that's true with her books too. She does it with her books and then she does it with also the way that she farms and and thinks about conservation too. Oh, huh,
0: okay. Yeah. It's very it's a very different view of England than like who was it Burke who was like gave us the like image of an oak tree? Yeah. And like meat potatoes like oh gosh. It's a very yeah. different image than that. Yeah.
2: I feel like there's sort of a, like, rough, sturdy, stout England, you know? Yeah. And this is, that can sort of go into it. What she's trying to do can sort of go into it. But it's a lot more, like, pastoral and calm. Yeah. Peaceful. And you're sturdy in the way of, like, things are steady and good and comfortable.
1: Yeah. You know,
2: all this stuff.
1: You can frolic in the countryside. Yeah. We need to do that one day. Oh, yeah.
0: Listen. We'll be looked at like we are crazy people. Listen, I'm just trying to be independently wealthy enough to buy my own country house in England. Yeah. And only talk to the people I want to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get
1: some more sponsors on this podcast before we can do yeah you're right
2: (laughs) so basically she's herding these sheep right but along with that she's also taking them to agricultural shows and gets involved in that um she's asked to judge agricultural shows sometimes um she's also really interested in you know there's Along with strides in, like, just medicine as far as, like, humans, there's also strides in veterinary medicine. And so she's really willing to experiment with those things, try new things. If there's a new remedy for something that's affecting her sheep, she's kind of like, yeah, let's try it. Oh, wow. You know? Okay. She's sort of on that early adoption, you know? Sure. Track for things. So, yeah, that's how she's breeding her sheep um and again along with that it's sort of this preservation of the land where she is and it's called the lake district oh Um, yeah oh shit okay so she really wants to
0: what ridge was back in the day right for like kind of just beyond romantic poets right
2: i'm not sure
0: I, I don't say, know what I about was- the
2: storage, to be honest with you.
0: <laughs> I was just about to say something about Branwell, but then I realized nobody would care, so never mind. <laughs> Aww.
1: Thank you for for being very intuitive, Ashley.
0: You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I can't have peanut
1: you <laughs> Your peanut butter, Blanche. Shut up. <laughs> Ashley, I wasn't mocking you. I, I just think this conversation should wait until our Branwell episode of um uh, our My Dead 19th Century Boyfriend. Fine.
0: <laughs> Why are you mad at me, you. Ashley? I'm not mad at you. I agree with you. Uh, okay, not you, agree with you. So,
2: do you I guys remember,
1: remember... something? Do
2: what? you guys remember that guy that helped her with her publishing... His name was Canon Hardwick Ronsley. Yeah. Okay. Well, it turns out that this longtime friend of hers becomes the first secretary and he's a founding member of the National Trust, oh. which is an organization that's focused on like places that are, you know, historically interesting or they have natural beauty to them. Yeah. So it's focused on that. So he's a founding member. And basically, she also supports this idea of there are places that are, you know, should be of interest to us from a historical standpoint, from a natural standpoint. And she didn't want um, lands that had traditionally been farming lands to be ruined by development.
0: Okay.
2: Which is something we're still dealing with today. So I think that's still sort of a pertinent thing.
0: are they a... Um, like starting branch of I think it's called English Heritage now, where it sets up like, um, like preservation but also like tourist stuff. Do we know?
2: I'm not sure. Um, let me see if I can find anything out about that. Let's see, I'm gonna guess it has probably something to do with that, mm-hmm. you know um that i'm looking here and their motto is like everyone welcome yeah so it's sort of a the idea of we're preserving these things because they're beautiful or historically important and you know part of that is mm-hmm. you want to see them and come to them mm-hmm. you know come okay. to places so yeah um But yeah, so she's friends with this guy who helps to start that, and she sort of believes in that same movement. Um, She doesn't want things to be ruined by people coming in and saying, oh, we're going to take all this wonderful, beautiful farmland and just, um, you know, plop a house on it or ten houses, whatever, you know. Um, She also becomes sort of uh, an expert on traditional crafts, yeah. Um, so she's really, really sort of diving headfirst into this English country lifestyle.
0: Yeah. And
2: preserving all of that. So. And actually, later in her, you know, at the at the later end of her life, um, these are the things she's thinking about and and sort of working towards, and she eventually dies in 1943 three and she has all these complications from having pneumonia and she also has heart disease like and oh, she's yeah. you know that's that's a ripe old age especially yeah. for that time. um so she ends up actually leaving all of her nearly all of her property to the national trust so by the time she had died she had accumulated over 4000 acres of land
0: oh um, my god
2: in yeah, farms, she had several cottages, herds of cattle, herds of sheep, all of that was given to the National Trust. And at the time, it was the largest gift that they had ever received um, as, you know, just total, I guess, acreage or value or, you know, um, so and they used it to be able to preserve the land. And now that's included in the Lake District National Park oh wow okay yeah um
0: can we go there
2: we should
0: yeah let's go there yeah
2: so um her husband william actually survived her by 20 months
0: oh wow
2: He didn't even make it two years without her but um and then uh, when he died, the, the remainder of their property, what was left, was also given to the National Trust. So all of it um, eventually was given to the National Trust.
0: That's crazy. Okay.
2: Yeah. So that's sort of the life of Beatrix Potter. Um, I think why I gravitated toward this this week is, again, I'm having, you know, transition's always rough. Yeah. And okay. I've been a lot too about what i want out of life and and to me this was the story of someone who you know also had to sort of face that decision at a point in her life
0: yeah
2: um particularly at at those turning points that we talked about you know again she's really interested in natural science and mycology well i can't go any further down that road so what's next and yeah um and then you know, she sort of has her writing career. She falls in love and then, you know, disaster happens, like the unthinkable kind of happens. And so to me, her life is characterized by those sort of turning points. But then also she's, she seems to have a very happy life and a very um, peaceful one almost. And yeah. so that's I've been thinking about and wanting to find (laughs) so you know she you know we talk about a lot of women who are sort of these trailblazers or they're very brash and bold and um i just i kind of wanted someone a little more i I don't want to call her quiet or reserved but just sort of peaceful you Mm -hmm. know yeah
0: well and it's just like peace during change and like being okay shifting gears. Yeah. Mhm. I think that's really respectable.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Cuz I'm not like that at all and I could use that. I'm yeah. trying to
2: be like that. <laughs> I'm trying really hard. So, I th- I think that's what I wanted to take from her this week and why I've been thinking about her.
0: Yeah.
2: You know. And again, why I wanted to talk about her and hopefully this will be useful for Someone listening, you know, in their life, and a lot of
0: people for me, KB, if that counts.
2: Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that you know, at least one person is going (laughs) to be like, "Yeah, I'm feeling it."
0: (laughs) I'm I'm feeling her. That's yeah, man.
2: Woo! So, did you guys have any additional thoughts or comments or general outbursts?
0: I mean, generally, yes. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like I'm thinking a lot about this. Yeah. But I don't have any coherent thoughts to add to this conversation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But this is much happier than looking at domestic abuse.
2: Yes. (laughs) I I also knew that's what you were doing your paper on, and I figured you could use a little something.
0: Oh, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might send you my paper so you can read it, though.
2: Oh dear. Yes.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah. Thanks, KB. Yeah. This is a great episode. It was a great episode.
2: I hope that everyone is feeling a little more cheerful and a little more at peace this week. Um, oh. You know, just wanted to give that to everyone to start their week and going into the holiday season and Ooh, all of that. Eva.
0: Oh yeah, because this is going to go up the day after Thanksgiving. Yeah, this goes up yeah. Black Friday for our American listeners. Yeah.
2: Woo! So, be peaceful, stay in. Don't harass those poor retail workers.
0: Please don't. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to be answering so many phone calls on Black Friday. Oh, <laughs> um, and Cyber Monday. Yes.
1: Oh my gosh! Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Wow. Well, is that it? Is that all we have?
2: I. That's all I had. I think. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, thanks, KB, again. Yeah. Who's got our outro? Because I don't. <laughs> I I know it. Okay,
1: <laughs> sort of. But before we do that, I have one remark. Because we're talking about children's books, it reminded me of one that um, a friend of mine did the illustrations for, and it's called uh, "The Little Duck Who Lost His Fucks." Oh by- my god! It's by the little Douglas duck who lost his what? Yeah, the little duck who lost his fucks.
2: And this is a children's
1: book? It's it's sort of like, it's illustrated like a children's book. Apparently it's, obviously it's not. It's by, it's by Bellatrix Fodder, F-O-D-D-E-R. You can find it. (laughs) (laughs) I know. You can find it on, uh, on Amazon. Uh, Like I said, one of my friends, uh, Julia Green did the uh, illustrations for it. And it's really funny.
2: Oh, my gosh.
1: Awesome.
2: Yeah. I'll, I'll be checking that out. Yeah. Also, just as a side note, because I forgot, we usually have a book recommendation. Yeah. Uh, there are several books written about her. Um, you can find a list of most of those. Um, and I found it on, let's see. I found it at the Beatrix Potter Society. Um so the website for that is BeatrixPotterSociety.org.uk. dot um, org and you can find out more information, list of books, all that kind of stuff. Um, also, if you haven't read Peter Rabbit, please do so. You're missing out on your life. Peter
0: Rabbit, y'all.
2: Yeah.
0: Y'all had a sad childhood. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Are,
1: so, are we ready to outro
2: I'm ready. ready
1: to outro all right guys well thank you so much for listening to this week's episode um you can find us on face facegram, facegram. <laughs> Facebook instagram or Twitter at legendary lasses you can all um uh also find us on our website uh WordPress.com slash legendary lat nope. WordPress. Wow. Do- <laughs> Legendarylasses.wordpress.com.
2: Yeah. Yes. You
1: can also email us <laughs> at legendarylasses at gmail.com, uh, where you can uh, give us suggestions, comments, concerns. You can weigh in on um on our food debates. Uh, right now we have pie versus cake. And pancakes versus waffles. You know, you can just shoot the shit with us. Uh, we're on a lot of platforms: iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, Stitcher, a bunch of other ones. If any of those uh, platforms have a rating system? Please uh, give us a review. Uh, right, like right, right, blah, blah, blah. right. now, we're still starting uh, Starting start off. So any feedback is amazing even if you say that i'm terrible um anything helps <laughs>
0: uh-huh. um, did i miss anything uh people can give us their money oh yeah
1: if you want if you feel compelled to uh sponsor us to to get to give us if to open up your wallets for us Um, you can go to anchor.fm slash legendary lasses and there's a button that says support this podcast and you can sponsor us and give us money and that goes towards buying better equipment, that goes towards buying books for research and other things like that to help, like I said, get this podcast up and running. Um, Anything else, guys? I think you got it all. Yeah. Oh, Look at me go. I'm just Third week in a row. Go in. All right. All right. <laughs> well, that's it for this week. So go out. Make waves. Don't take
0: chances. <laughs> take it's history. not take chances. <laughs> don't take Chance, Do you know where history. I think
2: take chances came from? Yeah. I what? was watching too much Magic School Bus.
0: Oh, God. <laughs> 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 well,
1: go out. Make waves change history, and stay legendary, and kick some ass. Yeah. And stay peaceful. Yeah. Stay peaceful. Take chances. Okay, well,
0: (laughs) I mean, yes, do take chances. (laughs) Take chances. Have some sangria. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Thanks, guys. Bye! Bye.